I don't buy the idea that, you know, the society the way it is right now, it has to be this way. Welcome to Rewrite the Rules with your host, Alex Starr. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. It's time to live life on your own terms. What do you really want? Welcome, everybody, to a fresh episode of Rewrite the Rules. I am Alex Starr, sitting here on a beautiful spring day in Austin, Texas. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, you know, this podcast has been around for, shit, almost four years now, um, really with the deeper reason to show you how easy it is to live on your own terms. You know, we all have things that are put in place by society, by our parents, by who we thought we were in the past that we have to let go of those stories. And this podcast, it's about sharing the stories of those who have changed what they thought was possible for their life, for their relationship, for their work, for the way they look at the world um, so that you can live on your own terms easier. Today's guest, Eric Godsey, is the perfect guy to have on um, because he is somebody who is so enraptured with the concept of telling different stories to yourself and how it can change your life. He is a philosophizer. He is um, someone who works with Aubrey Marcus um, on a lot of his projects, and he's just somebody who is extremely intelligent, and we dive deep into multiple subjects um, on this podcast. It's an hour and a half. You might want to pause it a few times be- to digest. Um, I know I had to as we were actually in the middle of the discussion. Um, you know, we get into money mindsets, habits, you know, how to manage your thoughts and your consciousness and the stories that you're telling yourself um, so that you can really start to manage, you know, the way that your brain is functioning. And so then you can actually change your life. So it was such a fun time, such an honor having them in the studio. Um, this was recorded about six months ago. So if it's not as pertinent to everything going on, you know, with Corona and everything, that's why, but I think it also is a good one to post now because it's a good break from all that bullshit. Um, in classic me fashion, I've waited so long to post this because I really thought it was it's a great podcast. And for whatever reason, I delay posting my good stuff because I like think that there's not going to be more after it or something like that. I have no idea, guys. It's just a weird kink in my, uh, in my brain I'm trying to work out. But anyway, I hope you guys love it. Um, I'm going to be posting some show notes um, and ways you can reach Eric, everything we talk about on alexstar.com slash Godsey, which is Eric's last name, G-O-D-S-E-Y. Um, so you can check it out there. You can find me at Alex H. Star on Instagram, and I'm going to be continuing to post fresh episodes um, throughout the summer here and uh, keeping you guys inspired and getting some good stories on here to show how uh, we can really, you know, utilize this time that we have right now available to us and make the most of it and all that shit. So, all right, guys, enjoy this podcast with Eric Godsey. What's up, Eric? What I do, brother? I'm going to crack open this cold beer right here. I already opened mine, so I'm ready to go. All right. Nice. Well, welcome to the new studio. Thank you for having me, man. This yeah, is beautiful. Man. This yeah. is inspiring me. Oh, awesome. Yeah, because you want to have your own soon. I do. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about before the show, I was like, oh, man, it's cool. Eric's coming on. And I was thinking about how we met and how we were at that event. Yeah. And we're like playing musical chairs at this event where it's like, 
find a partner and talk about whatever the, f- I don't remember what the fuck it was, but it was right. like, talk about something that is challenging you. Yeah. And then it was like, you're doing that thing where you walk around and it's like, Oh, they're taken. And then you turn and like, Oh, they're taken. And then you're like, Oh, and then your brain starts to like have a slight panic attack. Like, Oh shit, I'm the only one left. And then I turn and I just see you standing over there. Just like cool as a cucumber. Me like, too. <laughs> hey, me too, man. What's yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. And then we talked about microdosing LSD. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We didn't even do the prompt of what, <laughs> you know, what we were asked to do. I literally was like, I feel like I saw you on a podcast. And yeah. Like, yeah. And then I don't know how we got into LSD, but yeah, we learned. Well, cause that was my it. opener to the entire group is that I microdose LSD. Yeah. That's what it was. So that's yeah. What, yeah. That's how we started talking. Yeah. And I was literally like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's just talk about that. We don't yeah. <laughs> Why don't we just talk about the cure? Right. Exactly. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to have you on here, man, because I know a lot of what you do and kind of what we were just talking about in the kitchen is about rewriting like the script that we have in our head, the programming, like sure. the story. There's a million fucking words for it, you know? Yeah. And like how that is what really comprises like the things that you do and the things you don't do. Yeah. And the way you live your life, kind of like what you were talking about with your relationship, how like all of a sudden these just like this script starts coming up. Absolutely. So I was curious, what is something that, I mean, you just told me that story, but like, what's a time that happened recently where you've had that story come up and like, what are some really good ways for people to, to, yeah. to see it and then for sure change it. So the example that's uh, most at the front of my mind is one that I th- is such a complex one that I've been trying to write about it every day for the last three weeks. And I've, been, I've spent like an hour on it each day. And I still don't feel like I understand it well enough to try to articulate it to someone. It would probably take like an hour. So I won't pick that example. Okay. <laughs> and, we, and we can talk about this more if, if you really want to. But in... In order to explain this one, I would have to explain so many things about Jungian psychology that it, it just, it, it might take a while, but yeah. it's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, but an easier example is the example that I gave you before we started talking on the podcast, where essentially when I was 18, um, I was rejected by someone that I was in love with in such a way that was hard. And I internalized some unconscious beliefs about myself that... Um, for 10 years, I was able to not have to face consciously and I was in relationships and I had been in love and they went well. But, um, I recently was attracted to someone that basically rejected me in the same way, but a lot sweeter and a lot more conscious. Cause we were 10 years older than the girl when I was 18. And as I was processing the rejection, uh, because I've been working on my self-awareness, I was able to witness in my mind uh, some part of me that didn't really feel like my ego was almost like, you know, some people would call it the judge or the super ego was saying sentences that I knew were not true, but that were amplifying my feelings of unworthiness. And, um, what was it saying? So it was saying, uh, you're not enough. You're not manly enough. You're not strong enough. You're not worthy. You couldn't have someone like that, you know, and all those are things that I know are not true, but, um, there's this idea in Jungian psychology, uh, where basically your conscious mind is 1% of your psyche. Your psyche is the totality of your existence, basically like the totality of your psychology. He used the word, the psyche. 
your, your conscious mind, which your ego is inside of, is like 1% of that big sphere. <clears throat> and then you have a personal unconscious, which is like your personal memories, all the things that you could make conscious in this moment, but aren't conscious right now. And then there's a collective unconscious, which is the same unconscious all humans that are born anywhere come into the world with. It's it's basically like all the programs our genes have learned, these need, these need to be downloaded for every human program that ever runs. And essentially, there are what he calls complexes, which is um, all of us will experience trauma early in our life. And the way that we adapt to that trauma, there's only a specific amount of ways that humans tend to adapt to the types of traumas that arise in early life. And the ways that we adapt are called complexes and they're unconscious personalities that can hijack our consciousness when they're triggered. So the most famous example in psychology is the Oedipal complex, which is basically um, the firstborn son, if he enters what's called emotional incest with the mom, which is not that they're trying to fuck each other, but it's basically where the mom loved the dad, but that relationship broke. And once the mom has the child, if the child is a son, she will unconsciously try to love the son how she wished she could have loved the dad. <laughs> And it happens a lot, man. And um, basically, it it makes the sun stay weak. And so that's a complex. That that's one example of a complex. But these complexes are these unconscious stories that can hijack us. So when you say that eighty percent, so I guess what's the part that is actually like reprogrammable? Right. So that's a great question. Um, the ten percent. So the 10%. the the. So we have ninety. That's right. That's just in there. Huh? Yeah. So you know, like uh, all of us have the instinct for anger. I don't think there's any human that exists on the planet who can do enough rewriting where they don't experience anger. That instinct is in all of us forever. Period. Mm. How it manifests, I think, is rep is reprogrammable to a point. Yeah, I think. Whenever I think of computers, and I know this is like the most obvious metaphor, but I mean, it's amazing when you look at the computer systems, you just think of it as hardware versus software. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's an iPhone, but I have the 15th fucking update. Yeah. You know? And, and the really interesting thing to think about is it's the human psyche that made computers. Therefore, the structure of computers probably mm. mirror the structure of our psyche. And we don't even really understand that we did that on purpose. So right. it's probably the best example for the way that the mind works. right? hundred percent. Yeah. Cause I mean, you gotta think, I mean, the only way that we could create another intelligent form would be in our own image in right. the same way that we like anthropomorphize dogs. Exactly. Like, Oh, look how happy he is. It's like, no, he's just hungry. You know, it's, he's not like really experiencing the same like emotional right. vortex as us. Right. And I'm sure we did the same thing with computers and we are now, you know, we just put the way we process things. And I think a lot of the ways that you, that computers get developed are by people that are on such a different realm yeah, that they are like putting their operating system yeah, in like, the way it functions. A way that I think about it is um, it's one way to look at what a human is, is we've got this animal part and we have this computer part. And the, and the animal part is the raw energies inside of us. It's almost like the electricity in computers, but the the energy in a, in a human is much more dynamic than just how electricity works. 
the programming is almost like uh, if you're trying to drill for oil, all the all the structure that you have above the ground that will try to funnel the oil are is our software. But how the oil explodes up through the surface is the animal parts of us, the instinctual parts of us that aren't changeable. Yeah. But what you can do is tweak the structure you have above land that will funnel how the oil moves. What are the best ways to do that for you? To neurotically study really smart people, but um, practically. <laughs> what about for people who don't want to do that? <laughs> uh, um Listen to podcasts of people who neurotically study smart people. No, yeah. I'm joking. I, the, the, I think the most practical place to start is you have to have awareness. And so awareness for me comes through, I meditate and I journal. And those are like foundational practices that I use to just try to maintain awareness of what this Eric thing is doing. Because truly... One of the deepest insights of depth psychology, which is the type of psychology that you developed, is that we have so much less autonomy than our ego will allow us to even accept. And that a lot of this life is just a witnessing of whatever this thing is that we are as it does its thing. And I think with consciousness, you can slightly you can maybe change the direction of your life 1% each day, which over the course of 10 years is huge. So you, over the course of a month, it's huge. Right. So you do have some autonomy, but I think uh, it's, it's, it's way less than most of, than most of us think. Yeah. No, and I agree with you with the writing is such a way to unbelievably process what's going on Yeah. deep beneath the surface. Like, I mean, I did, uh, I've done morning journal, like morning pages. I, you're into that too, right? For sure I am. That is out of almost all the things I've ever done. I would say that had like the most direct and immediate benefit to the rest of my day. Like literally that day. It's not something yeah. that, Hey, meditate for five minutes a day. And in a month, I guarantee you're going to feel better. Literally, you will feel better the minute you put down the pen yeah. and throughout that day. I remember uh, I went out to um, Marfa. Have you been out there? No, but that sounds familiar. Way out in the desert and they have that place oh, called El Cosmico. Oh, you were telling me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, my girlfriend took, we did uh, MDMA and shrooms in the teepee with another couple and we were like, you know, playing bongos. It's a great and combination. Fucking fantastic, man. I think they call it the hippie flip, right? I don't know what it's called, but it's, it's, I think it's, the it's, hippie it's flip. my favorite. It's combo. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable because it really lets you get insightful, but everything has this nice positive spin to it. For sure. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's, it's like trying to bowl with the, uh, with the bumper lanes up on the side, you know? Yeah. It, yeah that's a good way to put it. Yeah. There's almost like no way for it to go bad. For sure. Um, so it was her first time doing shrooms. And so... You know, it was a great experience. We all had a great time. We were in this teepee with a fire talking and playing bongos and stuff for till like three in the morning. It's beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was beautiful. Got a lot closer to the couple for that sure. was there. Um, impossible not to. Impossible not to. Yeah, man. There was laughing. There was crying. There was everything. And we get back and she is kind of acting a little different. And she's, you know, saying how 
that was her first time doing it and she just feels a little off. And so I said that that's totally normal. I would recommend getting out your laptop, open up the note section and literally just type. Yeah. And she's like, well, what should I type about? And I was like, nothing and everything. Like just type what is coming to your mind as it comes. And dude, she opened her MacBook and she sat on the couch for like 45 minutes, man. Yeah, man. And just like furiously beating on the keyboard. And after 45 minutes, she closed it and she literally like, ah, oh, I feel so much better. Yeah. And I was like, what did you write? And she's like, just everything. And she hasn't looked at it since. Yeah. So that's a great story. And it it highlights what the magic of journaling is. So if we use the uh, computer example, your conscious mind has what cognitive psychologists call open loops. And a way to think about it is it's like the interface of your consciousness is like the internet browser. It's like Chrome. And every open loop is a tab that you have opened. And each tab that you have opened requires RAM. It requires psychic energy for you to process. Mm. And the way our consciousness works or the way our conscious mind works is that if you just write out what the idea is completely, it closes the tab. It's like our brain just wants to understand it as a story. So if you just start typing and you have no goal and you just start writing out, like you might have a thought where it's like, my elbow feels weird. And then you just write about your elbow and then you come to the conclusion like, oh, um, it clicks because I played basketball the other day. For whatever reason, the way the conscious mind works, it closes a tab. And if you do that for 45 minutes, you just close like 20 tabs. And maybe eight of those tabs were, were trying to run a YouTube video and 10 were trying to play a song all at the same time. And it's just a waste of your mind. And the beautiful thing about journaling, man, especially when you tell people not to write about anything specifically, that there's a thing in you that is always trying to move towards healing. It's always trying to move towards helping you become what you can be if you just gave it space to work. And when you journal, it's like you give your mind space to work and it just, it automatically starts to close these tabs. That's and a fucking beautiful way to look at magic. it. I've never heard that metaphor before. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Closing the tabs. Yeah. Especially nowadays because throughout your day, you get a million tabs open. Yeah. Literally. The average on your person. browser yeah. and figuratively. It's, right? <laughs> like, it stresses me the fuck out when I see yeah. some of my friends is. Uh, it's insane. Yeah. They have like browsers. 30 or 40 yeah. on the top and you, yeah. where you can't even see the lettering anymore. No, it's just anxiety. The, the, yeah. the favicon, whatever they're called. It, yeah. You can't even see that. And the research that I've read talks about um, the average person. The average person has between 100 and 150 open loops every day. The average CEO or the average person who's trying to run a business has between 250 and 500. And so if you just take a moment to um, realize that you are asking your brain to do something that a thousand years ago it would never have been asked to do, it starts to make sense that you don't feel good or that you feel overwhelmed or that you feel like you have ADHD. So the, um, the scientific term people can Google on Google scholar to read the research on this is called expressive writing. But 
What they have found is that when you do expressive writing, people go to the doctor less, like significantly less. People sleep better, significantly better. People who have any type of pain disorder experience pain as lower. People who have like chronic arthritis experience the arthritis as less painful. Basically what it is, is that when you free up RAM, your body can use that energy to heal itself, period. And it's like all of us are taxing the fuck out of our body's ability to heal itself by having by a having hundred tabs open, where if we just took half an hour every day, just write in a way where we don't try, just write about whatever is on your mind. You just clean those tabs every day. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think the inclination now is to, when you have free time, a lot of times the phone gets pulled in. For sure. Technology gets pulled in. And we just open more tabs. We And once, like literally. Yeah. Literally opening more tabs. I, that's the one of the best definitions I've ever heard of that is a tab like that. Um, going back to what we were saying earlier, we're like, we created it in our own like eyes, you know, like we're yeah, creating these tabs sure, because we have these open loops or tabs in our head. Um, but yeah, you like, when you have those spare moments now, like, you know, I do this all the time at the grocery store. If I have my phone on me and there is a moment where I'm just sitting there and I could just look around and observe the store and look at the magazines, you know, or just think about what happened throughout the day. I can feel my hand. Sure, man. Like, you know, it's like, was it the claw? You know what movie the is claw. that? The claw. Liar, liar. Yeah, liar, liar. Yeah. It's literally like the claw, dude. Yeah, it's like, coming out, it's like, no, like, For no. Sure. And it goes down the pocket and it pulls it out. And I'm incessantly, mindlessly scrolling or looking at something. Absolutely. Dude, I meditate every day. I really try to bring awareness to my shit. And at every day, at least once, without my conscious intervention, my phone is open and Instagram is up. Like, um, the smartest people in the world have gotten together not to be evil, but to try to make their business not die, to create the most addictive technologies on the planet and their social medias. Like, a really interesting way to think about it is like one of our primal programs is to understand where we are at in the hierarchy of the tribe that we're in. That's one of our most primal, primal programs. And social media has now found a way to quantify it and to give you dopamine dumps every time you check where you're at in the hierarchy. Like if you go on your Instagram, everyone is doing this unconsciously. They're looking at other people's followers, their followers, how their shit performs, all that shit. Because it's, it's one of our deepest, deepest instincts is to like... If you weren't paying attention to where you were in the hierarchy and you weren't listening to the feedback of the tribe about whether or not you're providing value, if you were exiled a hundred thousand years ago, you died. And so like, it's, it's a part of our deepest, deepest fear is like, uh, are we accepted by the group? And now we have instantaneous access to the group along with these programs are created in a way like Instagram and Facebook to be as addictive as possible. Like, Psychologists in the 50s and 60s who discovered and created behaviorism learned how you can train the animal part of a human to do anything. Like basically it comes down to rewards. And the quicker you can give 
So first off, if you find a reward that is something that the animal intrinsically values, like food, and then you associate it directly after the behavior you want the animal to do, you then link that reward to that behavior and then you get the animal to do it over and over and over and over and over and over. <clears throat> and like back in the fifties, they could get pigeons to play like really complex songs on a piano just by giving them food after the right movement. We are the pigeons and Instagram is the food pellet, you know? For sure. Yeah. You know, when you scroll down, and it has like, if you go to the top and you slide it down like a slot machine and it loads, I was reading the other day how that's one of the examples of something that is not necessary, right? They can obviously make a feed that automatically updates itself, but that's one of the things that they build into the program, into the app to make it more fun, to keep Absolutely. your attention, to hit the Absolutely. dopamine. And those types of things are happening all the time. Um, yeah. The, the tribal thing for sure, man, is like, if you got ostracized then you're done. You died. You died. Yeah. And that's, that's what a lot of people say is our absolute deepest. Like it's just to, right. the, to the core. It's, it's why public speaking is the top fear. It's more than death. Right. Higher than death is public speaking. Cause if you think about, um, when would be the only time that you would have to speak to a group, to the group alone? Uh, I forgot where I read this, but it resonated when I did. And it's like, mm -hmm. You were either the chief or you were defending yourself from being ostracized to the whole group. Like you had done something wrong where everyone was now watching you. And when everyone is watching you, it's, it's this idea that if I make any mistake now, I will be ostracized and I will die, you know? And so we're all running this program now when we public speak where it's like the entire tribe is watching me. If, if they learn how unworthy I believe I am because of my internal judge, I'm going to die, which of course is like, it's insanity. It's not true. And the more you do public speaking, you know, you can get over that at mo most people who public speak for a living, if they're honest, always still feel the jitters, but that means that you're ready to show up. But the like, soul crushing fear, you know, it goes away after a couple of times. Cause you recognize like, Oh, okay. I won't die. You know? Yeah. It's tough though, because you're right. Even though I can consciously recognize that, or, you know, even when things come up at work or like in your relationships, you can sit there and you can consciously tell yourself, for sure. Hey, like nobody's dying, you know? And that almost does nothing to stop the feeling that you have that somebody is dying, that you're right. going to die. Something is very, very wrong. When it's like a report at work or like, you know, somebody says, hey, uh, I need to talk to you, things like that. And your whole reality just crumbles yeah. because you just automatically go to, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my friends. People are going to find me out. I'm going to be out of the tribe. I'm dead. For sure. That's exactly where the mind goes like, Literally in a second. Yeah. The heart sinks. Everyone knows that feeling. For sure. It's terrible. Everyone listening. And I think what you're touching on that is really useful to know is like anyone who is quote unquote on the path to being more conscious, they will get to a point where they start to know this type of stuff. And then if they sense that their animal self still experiences these animal emotions, they then think that they're failing. 
And I think that the step beyond that is like, you're an animal first. We, we develop conscious awareness much later in our evolutionary history. What the conscious awareness can do is help the animal, but the animal is still going to be an animal for the rest of your life. Like, but that's also like the beauty of whatever this thing is, like whatever this thing is that we're experiencing, we get to experience experience it through the energies of the animal that we're inside of. And all of us are animals first. And then we have our conscious mind. And so it's like, I remember I was driving the other day and, um, I pulled out in front of a car and I felt bad and like, I could feel my fucking heart rate go up to 140 because like my body had anticipated for half of a second, there being an accident. Yeah. And, but I was in a really good place and I just, I, I curiously and with humor just watched my animal self freak the fuck out, dump adrenaline into my body and feel it pulsating through my body for the next 10 minutes. And like, to be aware of it doesn't mean you don't drop the adrenaline, but I think there can just be this like curious humor to like, man, I'm, I'm inside of this animal that has evolved over hundreds of millions of years that this is an environment it's not meant to be in. It's trying its best and uh, I appreciate it, but I'm also the boss, you know? Yeah, yeah. I Yeah, you kind of help run the story a little bit. Yeah, especially when it comes down to thoughts and watching what the instincts are. You know, like when you read the books that are like, Don Miguel Ruiz or, you know, any like the meditators and they say over and over again, like watch like the best description I've ever heard is just watch it. Like they're clouds in the sky. Yeah. And especially with thoughts, right? You just see them come and you see them go. Yeah. They're there for a second. Oh, look, it's a, it's a butterfly. Wow. Oh, look, it's a dragon. And then it goes on. Uh, Emotions are a little stickier. I think. Right. I was about to say emotions are a little, especially when you get adrenaline mixed in there, like, it's not as easy. It feels like, in, so if you're calm and it's just thoughts, you can be in the grass watching a cloud, yeah. but emotions feel like you're swept up in a river. Yeah, exactly. You know, and maybe I'm just not as woke as those type of people, but I, I genuinely feel that the emotions are a thing that come up from below where thoughts are kind of a thing that happen in front of, almost mm. in the, in like where the witness is at in the realm of the psyche. Mm. And emotions feel like waves. And I think that the best thing that the conscious mind can do is um, the, the conscious story you create is your raft. And you can tell a shitty story where you just have a piece of wood and you're just drowning in the water. Or you can tell a good story about the waves and be on top of them, you know. But the waves will toss you around. And sometimes, no matter how good your raft is, man, a wave will knock you over or something in life will kill you. Like it doesn't like, so to, to sit on the lawn and watch the cloud, I don't feel like that does service to the human experience where it's really more like you're in an ocean and you're on an itty bitty raft and good luck. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times too, the same way that you can't control the ocean going on around you at all. 
whenever I resist or whenever, you know, you, you get that feeling and it's like, Oh no, fuck no. Like I'm not feeling this right now. No. Uh, And you you start to resist it. You try and play all these games. Uh, it gets worse for sure. You know, like what you resist persists and all that. Um, and then like, I'd say mm, one out of every thousand times that I let like the experience flow through me. And I remember that that's actually the way to do it. Right. It passes much quicker. For sure, man. Um, but I literally remember that at a very small amount of times. And then the one time I do, I'm like, oh yeah, of course that's the trick to life. I'm so woke. Bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. like, ah, oh, I got life. I got figured it. Out. Yeah. yeah. And then the next time I forget. For sure. I, I heard a description of that feeling that was so visceral that I've never forgot it. It was Duncan Trussell was explaining. I love Duncan. Yeah. Same. Yeah. It was like a year ago and he was explaining, um, he was kind of riffing on what it's like to resist what comes up when you're deep in a psychedelic experience at a high dose, but it's the same thing that you're saying. And it's like, that emotion is trying to give birth to you almost in some type of way. And to resist it is to be like a baby in the birth canal, grabbing onto the walls of the mother and just tearing into them because you're resisting what it's trying to show you. And in true Duncan Trussell fashion, he was very explicit and raw in his description. And it was very poetic and also gross, but it, it really has stuck with me. And it's like, when you're in the midst of an emotion, um, the emotion is trying to teach you something and to resist it is almost to cause damage to the structure of your psyche itself. Like it, like it puts the claw marks on the birth canal of your psyche, you know? And um, since I've heard that, I I catch myself more. Just let go, just let go, let go and trust. And a thing that I'm starting to see, man, is uh, the more I bow to the water, which really is the unconscious, like the more I bow to it and the more I just try to authentically express my experience, it's like the more I let go, the more grace I get in my life. You know, what do you mean? It's almost like, okay, we're going to get weird. Break it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Okay. So all of us, our experience of the world is inside of our head our life and what we think we are is inside of our head. We cannot experience the world without run. Our only experience of the world is through the simulation that we make with our meat suit and we experience it inside of our head. So there's this feeling of grace where it feels like the world itself, the world as such starts to reward you in a way that doesn't seem to make scientific causal sense. But I think it's because the world is your simulation of the world. You don't have access to the objective world. You have access to your simulation of the world. And it's almost like um, as you submit to this thing inside of you that's unconscious, that's much bigger and stronger than you, um, things happen in the world that, you, you know, you can say are miraculous or lucky or whatever it is, but it's it's like the more you bow to the thing in you that is not the ego, you called it the self, like the big S self, the more grace you get. And grace Mm. would be like luck, synchronicity, 
opportunities, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where it's kind of like the law of attraction that, that gets very hokey really quick sometimes, but I know exactly what you're talking about because it's like a, you've had Dallin Hoffman on your podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had him on mine as well. And That's so amazing. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. And um the reason I bring him up is because he talks a lot about how we are not seeing reality. And that and and when you first kind of hear that, you're like, Well, what what do you mean? His TED Talk is a great yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. If anyone's li- yeah, watch yeah, Don Hoffman's, I think it's Donald Hoffman's yeah, TED Talk about the 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 nature of reality, I think yeah. is what it's called. But you know, when you think about even just that bats can hear sounds that we can't hear that right. There's all the proof you need that there are things going on in this world that we don't have access to Right. just off of that alone. Right. You're like, okay, that's it. It's, it's proven. So if that little step that there's these animals flying around us all the time that are attuned to things right. and they're living their life literally based on one thing like you know off of the the sound waves right that we don't have access to then how far down does that rabbit hole go sure. and then when you get down to through meditation or psychedelics and you enter in like that big vast emptiness yeah. um there is a lot of truth to that that like that is this source of synchronicity you would call it or like where these things line up where things start to get really weird. For sure. It's hard to maintain that. Is It's really right. hard to like stay in that realm. If you, you do know? not balance that with hardcore rationality, you become schizophrenic. Yeah. So it's like, it's this weird. And that's why people have breaks. Some people do no, ask sure. if there's time and they have psychotic breaks. For sure. Because it's too far. There's a quote, I forget by who, and it's, it's such a beautiful, it actually might be by Jung, but it's a beautiful representation of this thing. It's you, man. It's Jung. Come on. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the madman and the genius uh, swim in the same uh, lake or in the same waters, but where the madman drowns, the genius swims. And it's, it's this idea that there is a non-causal element of reality that is not reducible by materialistic science. And if you, if you are only rational and you never indulge in this intuitional part of your side of your psyche, you will, you will likely not ever reach a level of genius, which is okay. Like if that's not what you're trying to do in this life, cool. But if you do indulge that and the risk you make indulging that part of your mind is that you could go too far. You could stare into the abyss and you can fucking lose your mind because there seems to be, it's almost like rationality is a part of a forest that we've turned into farmland and castles and we've got this shit figured out. And then there's the dark woods around the castle and you can go a couple of miles into the dark woods and find treasure. And that's your intuition, but there's a cliff that you can't see. That if if you cross it, you go insane, and um, I think that that's a testament to what you're saying. And just to come back to the thing about the secret that I there's a couple of things wrong with it, but I think that one of the main things is that it. I think there is an objective reality. I think to think that there is not is to be naive. But we don't have the cognitive apparatus. We have not evolved to perceive the objective world. We have evolved to reduce the objective world into really simple 
categories that we can interact with that make us more fit animals from an evolutionary standpoint. That makes sense for us. Yeah. Right. There's no point in us seeing UV light. Exactly. Right. We we have a certain amount of energy that we have to use to basically not die and to re and to reproduce before we die. And so we've we've evolved to see a really simplistic version of the objective reality. Okay. I think the magic that the secret talks about can happen between human psyches. But the objective world, as far as I understand, is not subject to the changes in the psyche. But what I've realized in the last year what? is that uh, the degree to which the psyche seems to be able to affect objective reality, I th- it's, it's more than the rationalistic part of me is willing to admit right now. But it, I've had enough examples of it where it's like, okay, I don't understand this and I'm not going to pretend to understand this. There is some non-causal relationship between an individual psyche and the objective world that is akin to the secret, but I don't understand how it works. And I think the secret was a way too easy simplification of that thing that is most easily mockable by how many people read the secret, truly believe they were going to win the lottery and haven't won it. You know, like it's, it's 99.9999999% of the people who have read the book, you know, nine, 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 nine. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? We need stuff like that because it has to be simplified. Yeah, I think I that's think it, a first step. For it's a, a first step, yeah. But you're right. It gets mocked because it's like, oh, you just dream of a red Ferrari and you get a red Ferrari, which of course completely reduces that to like right. rubbles. It's right. not even... And in um, uh, in logical debate, that's called a straw man fallacy, which is one of the most common fallacies. And it's where you reduce the argument to such a simplistic caricature of what it is, and then you defeat it, that caricature, and then you act like you've defeated the actual argument. I th- Trump. Right. In a and, nutshell. Yeah. And, but the thing is, is almost all of us do this. Almost all of us do this logical fallacy whenever it's an idea that I, we don't want to agree I do with. that with my girlfriend daily. And I, I'm sure she wants to punch you in the face. Yeah. It's, and so the reverse to a straw man is called a steel man. And it's where you try to make the argument for the other side even better than they can make it for themselves. Then you defeat it. Then you truly j- just owned it. And I think if you straw man the secret and what it's trying to say, it's that if you use just a fraction of your free time every day to genuinely envision what it is you want to create with your life, and you only do that, you are statistically more likely to make micro decisions every day in such a way that bring you to that goal. But you can go deeper than that. It's like, okay, spend 10 minutes every day imagining your ideal life and then spend five minutes just imagining what you would have to do to just adding that five minutes every day. Like we, we talked about it earlier. Most people will go a week and all of their free time has been them distracted on their phone. Then there's someone who goes a week where they spend half an hour every single day truly trying to visualize their dream life. If you amplify those two weeks over the course of three years, you're going to have someone who is in the same life that they had three years ago, upset and bitter. And then you're going to have someone who has made a lot of changes in their life and they probably have the red Ferrari, or at least they're much closer and on the path to a life that will get it. 100%. 
Yeah, it's not when you break it down, it's not complicated. It's literally just keeping your goals at the forefront in your mind. Right. It's not complicated stuff. But what that does, I think what you were like kind of alluding to earlier, is that somehow it gets into the subconscious. It gets into like that energetic sphere where on science papers, it's like, oh, they're more likely to take those micro decisions, right? right. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, yes, indeed. Yeah. Huh? yeah. But yeah. <laughs> when you break it down, it's like, no, what it's doing is like, I'm like, I'm now starting to like, since I'm now thinking about that all the time, I'm, when I'm meeting up with people, exactly, I'm kind of in that, that energy and that mindset. And like, I'm and then all of a sudden I'm subconsciously looking for things exactly. that you're not even aware of. Um, and it becomes this like really positive spiral sure. where, like you said, the other way, which honestly, man, sometimes it's like, it goes weekly sometimes or monthly, right? Sometimes you're in this really positive spiral for like a week or a month. And the other times a week would go by where you're like, man, that something like happened where it's now like a negative spiral I'm in yeah. this week. Um, and it can flip flop like that, you know? Um, but yeah, really just being able to even just like, if you wrote it down in the morning, sometimes like, sure. just, like if I write my, what I'm trying to do in the morning, like just write it down. Like, Oh yeah, I want to, you know, uh, make this certain amount of money because like for me as a personal example, I want to be making like $200,000 a year because there's a, uh, um, like a really good Krav Maga class that I want to pay my, for my little sister to take because she lives in LA and like, I want her to be able to defend herself. For sure. I totally get it. Yeah. And so, uh, do you have sisters? I do. Okay. Yeah. So like for, I bought it from my older sister, but there's a really good one that I want to pay and it's, it's really expensive. And so it's like, I want to be able to have enough money where that doesn't fucking bother me. Like, and I can easily yeah. give my sister like the gift of self-protection. And when I just do that every morning and I write like, Hey, I want to make this amount of money like through this way. And it's, this is one of the things I'm going to do with it. Right. It's unbelievable. Like when you have that emotional connection to it, how much it starts to like fuse things. And something that you're doing there that might be conscious and might not that I really respect. I'm going to steal and use myself is so many of us have unconscious stories around to have a lot of money equals you're a bad person. A lot of us have that story. And for you to articulate clearly the gift that you would use that money for, like just if you have any unconscious program around money being bad, it just absolves it. It's like, I, I want to take care of myself. Yeah. But I also, I'm going to use this to help people that I love. And I think that that's a really strong um, insight for me to steal. Cause I have bad stories around money because, you know, a lot of our stories we unconsciously inherited from our parents. There's a quote from Jung, and it's the ghost of the parents haunt the children. And like both my parents have stories around someone with a lot of money equals bad person. Mine too, for and sure. It's why they didn't have a lot of money growing up. And a part of me can see that that's false, but that if I believe that I'm never going to make a lot of money because <laughs> I don't want to be a bad person. And to flip it the way that you did is something that I know I need to do too. So I appreciate you sharing that. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. You know, and that, and that only came through me reading a couple books and realizing all the really shitty stories that I had and that I still am working through for sure, man. with money. And it makes you think about when you look around and you realize that I think the latest stat was 70% of the U S doesn't have any savings. Right. Right. And so then when you go out in public, let's keep it at 70%, right? 
So that means if you're going out and you're meeting up with people at a party, at an event, you know, at your work, seven out of the 10 people there are going to inflict you with their stories, stories about, and money, yeah. about money, right? And so it's really, really, really money as I, and it's so funny too, that like money's the thing that has like made me delve deeper into this For like sure. subconscious at, out of all the things in my life. I never thought it was going to be money. That was going to be the trigger to be so philosophical about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's Absolutely, such man. a, such a poignant um, yeah. factor in our society. But yeah, you realize that everybody has these stories that they got that then they're putting on you on the daily and you realize, oh shit, if I do want to become somebody that has that amount of wealth that I want for myself and that I want to use to help other people, I have to be like sometimes the only person in the room that is thinking of it a little bit differently. For sure. And then you start to think, then you have to balance that with the ego side of that. Because then once you make these small epiphanies, you're like, dude, I'm like one of the, I'm one of the three out of the 10. For sure. Fucking yeah, now I'm special. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of really interesting things that come up there. One is that um, there's a, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's by uh, Marianne Williamson. And I'm sure that everyone has heard this one, but it's basically like, um, I don't remember the whole thing verbatim, but it's, you do not serve the world by playing small. Um, as you live your light, you give other people permission to live theirs. And I think that your deepest fear is not that you're inadequate. Exactly. The deepest fear is that you are like powerful, powerful beyond, beyond your beyond imagination. Your, yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah, absolutely. It's I fucking love that quote. But when we bring that to like the idea about money, like money is not a zero sum game. We live in a society where if you can speak the right sounds with your mouth, you can create wealth. Like we literally live in an environment that is alchemically magical to a point that we're numb to because we see it all the time. That being said, I think like a part of our generational healing is to really fix the way that we see money. And the, the more of us who share how we went through our process of changing the way we saw money, we will li help liberate others because there's no one on this planet who, maybe that's not fair. There's no one in our culture who, if they got to choose between having a greater ability to influence helping others and not having influence to help others, would choose not to have the influence to help others. Money is a tool that can be used to help influence others. And if you're worried about it corrupting you, that means you have self-work to do. And I think that the whole money thing is is a big sticky one in our generation that um, needs healing. Yeah, I don't think that it's our generation. I think it's been sticky for a long time. That's a good point. Yeah. It's been a problem. Um, this book I was reading recently that's really been the catalyst for it, which is like the cheesiest title. And it's written in a very cheesy way called uh, How to Be a... No, You're a Badass at Making Money by Jen Cicero. But she goes into a lot of that. And one of the points that she brought up that struck me super hard was she's like, you being remaining and staying poor based on you thinking that it's this very um, 
moral. Thank you. A very moral thing to do. She's like, who does that help again? Nobody. Nobody. And then another point she brought up was, oh, she's like, I want you to picture everybody that you know that is a good, solid person, right? And I want you to picture them being the wealthy people in the world. And how good would the world be? Amen. I, think I know. And I was great. like, ah, oh, it's good. Yeah. There's a lot of truth to that because I think a lot of us do. I have done it almost my whole life where you just go, it's things are more important than money. Right. I don't need money. You know, like oh, those are rich scumbags that are just all they want is money, you know? And then guess what happens? All the scumbags get a bunch of money and influence and power and influence yeah. and power the way the world works. Not that the, not that the system, this isn't like a, you know, a judgment on the system itself. Like the, the, that's a whole other conversation, right? Like in terms of capitalism and stuff like that, but just the fact that, okay, we're in it right now. Right. And so things hopefully will change for the better in terms of like balancing out the problems that come along with capitalism. Yeah. But in terms of us being in the system right now, okay, cool. How do we affect change? Well, why don't you gain power within the system that's already intact? For sure. And so there's a couple of things that come up in me. One thing that comes up in me is like, I can see the people who are like, these are two white dudes talking about like how the system isn't broken and just be inside of the system. And, and I hear them. Here's the way that I think about it. We are born into a game and you can imagine the game is like, is like Monopoly. When we're 19 and 20 and 21, especially if we're driven and smart and trying to change the world, we think the right way forward is to get rid of the entire game and to make a new game. And I was there. Um, and I feel that. But capitalism at its core is a thing that has been um, honed over hundreds and hundreds of years. Some 19-year-old, and this was me, who thinks he is smart enough to create a world energy exchanging system that would be better than capitalism, that would be implementable in a way that wouldn't hurt all the people inside of the, in the game way worse in order to transfer over. And that if they did transfer over with a minimum loss of life, which is almost impossible, that they, it would then do better than capitalism. And you don't know how to do your taxes or you don't know how to fucking fix your car engine. Like your ability to actually change the world as a 19 year old in any measurable way is, is really simplistic, but you have the urge to want to change the entire system. I think it's, I think it's just huge ego. And again, I can totally hear the people who are like you two white dudes talking about how capitalism is the way to go. It's like, I hear you. There are millions of people that are not doing well in this system. But I see the way to minimize the amount of damage done and then create the highest potential for good later is to get good at the game. And the thing about capitalism is that it can get corrupt and it is corrupt in ways, but it's not entirely corrupt. Like if you and a friend, if your friend is good at fixing your house and you're able to cook them dinner, you will cook them food for them to come over and like fix something in your house. That at its core is kind of the exchange of capitalism. It's, it's the exchange of goods or a service to someone of a value that we see as equal. Um, it works. 
And the thing is, is like, if, if you watch children, it seems to come up in its core game unconsciously, like through children. Again, it gets frayed at the edges, but long story short, you could help thousands of people in the next 10 years if you change the way that you saw money, period. 100%. Yeah, and I think your points with capitalism is, uh, you know, I was in Cuba. My grandmother's Cuban, so I was there five years ago. And that obviously, that's like a socialistic dictatorship going mm -hmm. on, right? But I think a lot of people... With a lot of things, right? Like monogamy versus being polyamorous or um, all these different things. You know, it, it's either capitalism or socialism. Mm -hmm. And and to be completely frank, anyone talking about either of these, if you ask them to define what they are, this is why I don't like to talk about anything other than like the psyche and individual lives. Because if you ask someone, what is capitalism? What is what is communism? 99.99% of all the people I've ever met, they have a really simplistic straw man version of whatever side they don't like. And they have maybe one sentence more nuanced steel man version of the side that they like. And we just use them as arguing tools to, to compete for power with other people. And it's just, it's like, I don't, think that almost anyone my age or younger except for like one percent of the population really knows what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to politics like i i can look I them politicians know what they're talking about for sure man. It's, it's kind of a gross game because Nobody really knows what's going on i think if you if you look someone in the eye like you can get a really strong sense of who they are as an individual and um me personally, I've never met someone who, if the first thing that they want to talk about is politics, where I look them in the eye and I feel that they're centered and um, that they're happy with who they are, you know, that they're um, doing the things in their life that, that feel like it's the right thing to do, like they're living their passion, uh, and maybe that's my sample size and it's not fair, but I just like, there's this rage in people that want to talk about politics that makes me feel like, and this is me being a psychologist, but that there's someone from your family that you're really upset with that you see represents this part of the political spectrum and you're fighting that person and every person you meet. And, there's a Eastern idea about like the path of the individual is um, develop your core as like a 20 year old and then create a family as a 30 year old, be of service to your family until you're 50. And then you leave your family and you go be of service to the community. And that's kind of the path that I've kind of chosen for myself is I'm really trying to get my shit right. And I want to raise a family as well as I can. And then for the rest of my life, I'm going to try to give myself completely to trying to update my mm -hmm. culture and my system. And again, a part of me is like, you. of course you get to say that you're a white dude in America. You get the opportunity to go raise your family in a way that feels safe and feels good. And I totally hear that, but I, I can only live my life, you know, and this feels like this is the right path for me. 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really just a matter of perspective. I think with that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, cause I think about that sometimes too, of like, well, what, what are things that not that I like could say or shouldn't say, but like when we're talking about perspective at the end of the day, I realized that I am a fucking, you know, if you want to say like, Oh, you're a white guy from the U S it's all I got. Right. So I, I'm going to give you this protector that I got. I would love to hear if you're whatever, you know, gender or race, whatever, that's your perspective for sure. And like, they're both equally valid. doesn't mean that they are like equal in terms of opportunity and all that stuff. If you want to go down, you know, that path, but down the, the day, this is what I have. This, this is my perspective for sure. And, uh, that's been something that has come up a lot through doing the podcast. It's like being more okay with the fact that that's just what, for sure. That's what I'm coming from. You know? Yeah. And to not take on shame, to not take on shame is huge. Yeah. It's hard not to guilt and shame around money, around the things that you're saying, like your viewpoints. Um, Cause then that, that like kind of gets inside you for sure, you know, and then you're not interacting in like the most, yeah, the most pure way. I, I, I think a lot of uh, the anger or a lot of the support that our generation of the part of our generation that does support Trump, why they're so twisted because it does feel twisted to be honest is because they've been taught by culture that they should feel shame or guilt or hatred themselves for being white men, you know? And, um, I think having more conversations like this, um, I think podcasting YouTube, um, I see it healing, but I think that that's why there's even that support group amongst our generation is because a lot of people have been taught, um, for reasons you don't control, you should feel shame. You know, and I just don't think that that's healthy for anybody. It's not, but I completely resonate with that a hundred percent. I mean, it's really hard. If you take even like the white guy stuff out of it, you know, you take the identity politics stuff out and going back a little bit to the money. When, when you sit there and you tell yourself, I want $200,000 a year. And literally, man, the, one of the first things that pops in my head is people starving in Syria. Yeah. And like, that's such a realistic and hard thing to combat. Like, who the fuck am I to want this money or who the fuck am I to say these things because I haven't suffered enough? And at what point is my suffering enough to be able to say some certain yeah. things? And then you get guilt from that. Um, and you're right. And then that guilt, which, you know, you know, that guilt then manifests and like swirls around, you know, and alchemy and you know makes a little recipe and pops out you being pissed at somebody for cutting you off a week later yeah and you're right it's not we're, we're living on like it's very short term and it's very like, this isn't going to end well if like we keep going down this path of like making everybody i mean that's how marketing works right you make people feel guilty or you make them feel insecure to get them to buy stuff but i feel like it's been amplified lately yeah like how can you make people feel guilty for like a million different things and then people get pissed and it's not sustainable. And yeah, it's not sustainable. No, it's interesting. If you think about like, if we, if consciousness itself is like this magical ability to create in the physical world, that which exists in the non-physical world, like we are manifesting tools 
It's like the energy of guilt or shame just inhibits your ability to effectively create in the world. And, you know, each of us are going to have our own stories about why we should feel guilt or shame around the things that we want. But I think that that's also the call to tell a more beautiful story. It's like, I am worthy of having $200,000 a year. And the reason I am is because I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with that money. And I will be conscious about not over-consuming. I won't indulge in X or in A, B, and C, but I will indulge in D because I'm alive and it's okay to enjoy my life. Like, Strippers. Yeah. That's okay, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, but I think creating, here's the way that I think about it. Basically any main, any big event that happens in my life or any main thing that I want to happen in my life, I want to be able to write a story about it in such a way where my children could read it when they're like 10 or 11 and admire what their dad chose to do and how he chose to do it. And so I think if, at least for me, I find that super helpful to live my life in such a way that if I told the story of it to my children, they would be proud that I was their dad, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's beautiful, man. I think that can, if you don't have kids, a lot of times I think of my parents I think of like, would my parents be proud of, they're not going to be proud of all the things that I do. Sure, <laughs> sure. They're their own people. For sure. Saturday night, they're not going to be, maybe Tuesday mornings. <laughs> yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. He's such a good boy. Yeah, yeah, he's such a good boy. And then I'll just cut the camera. Um, But I do, I think about my parents a lot in terms of yeah. like the same kind of thing, you know, do, would, would they, would they be happy that I like chose this over choosing that? Yeah. Um, And the actions that I take. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting thing that, it's interesting because I've never thought about it that like, but if you, I love my parents, but they didn't put any pressure on me to be great. And so, um, I use the idea of my potential children and wanting to be great for them, you know? So yeah, I guess whatever, um, ex whatever audience brings out the best in you to try to live a life where if you told that story to that audience, that, they would be proud of you. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool, man. Um, I have a couple questions from people For sure. on the IG. Yeah. We can fire off. Um, I thought this was interesting, actually. I asked um, the question of what's like a blocker you have for getting rid of bad habits. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, a girl named Aliona say me. But then I had... Did she say verbatim me or did she say you? She said me. I see. Okay. Yeah, she, <laughs> you, oh, right? She's like, what the fuck, Aliona? <laughs> yeah, just calling me out. Right. Your Instagram feed, <laughs> stopping me from changing my bad habits. That'd be so funny. Um, and then uh, one of my good friends actually, Akon, he put friends it was mm -hmm. a hard thing to get into bad habit. Um, and then uh, Laurel put won't be good enough without it, like the fear from from not being good enough without that bad habit. That one's interesting, yeah, because um, that one might be, you know, alcohol, something like that, where it's like a bad habit. Right. I going to describe it, but um, I just thought those were interesting in terms of like the blockers coming up. Um, what so a quick thing. Oh, yeah. I'm, I was, I'm sorry. No, go ask. I was going to ask you like what what are some things? I know habits is a big part of- For sure. It's of, huge. Of, yeah, like how you- um, change your life and kind of what you focus on. I think I read that you, you read like nine books in a row about habits or something. Yeah. So I, 
after I graduated college, I got a do I got a bachelor's of science in cognitive psychology, and that fancy title got me a job wrapping burritos at Chipotle. And after I worked a couple of shifts, I was like, "Oh my fucking god, this is the path my life is taking." Okay, so I bought the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and I read it like four times. And one of the main things that he talks about is like, just become an expert at something. Pick something that you want to be an expert at and then go buy the five best books ever written on it. And if you read three of them, you're going to be in the top 5% of people in the world on that subject. So because I was so terrified at the prospect of wrapping burritos for a couple of years, I bought like the 10 best books on behavior change over the last 20 years. I read all of them. And uh, I started trying to be like an online habit change coach. And I didn't know how to ask for enough money. I, I just made enough money to basically be broke, not working at Chipotle, but, um, I learned my shit. And so the thing to anyone listening is like, if you're trying to change a bad habit, the first thing to understand is that the way your mind works, you can't delete it. It's a groove in your brain now, but the groove can be updated. And there's three parts to every habit. There's the trigger, there's the behavior, and there's the reward. And the trigger is almost always you are in some experiential state that you want to change. And then the behavior is your unconscious routine to try to change the conscious state that you're in. And then the reward is whatever feeling you experience after doing the behavior. So what you can do with a bad habit, there's this thing called reactivity Uh, I have to make sure we're good. All right, cool. There's this thing in um, behavior change science called reactivity, where basically whenever researchers try to get a population to track a behavior, the mere act of tracking something, you begin to improve it unconsciously. So, for example, if you begin to track your weight, on average, unconsciously, you actually start to improve in whatever direction you want. Like if you're trying to lose weight or if you're trying to gain weight, you, but it's because you're tracking it and it's at the forefront of your mind. So you're making the micro choices every day that start to move you towards that. So if you're trying to change a bad habit, begin to measure, track every single time you do it. Like get a note card, have it in your wallet or your purse. And every time you do the behavior, write down like a check mark write down what time it is and write where you're at. For how long? If you do it for a week, it'll change your fucking life. And so for a week- if And you, pick just one bad habit. Yeah. So one at a time. That's a great point. Americans love to try to, you know, it's January 1st, I'm going to try to change 10 things. And I do go, that every month. And you go really hard for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, and then you stop it all. Go out for six hours. Right. No more cookies for six, <laughs> for the next two years. Six hours later, famous Amos is in my mouth. For sure, man. For sure. And it's 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 such a huge thing that like entire industries are based off of trying to get people to buy contracts in January that last all year. Because yeah. Yeah. um but so for example, with the eating cookies, trying to stop eating on day one is basically saying, I want to tell myself I tried, but I'm not actually trying to try. What you do the first month is just write down every time you eat a cookie, right? down what time it is and where it happened. Do that for the first two weeks. And then the next two weeks, write down each time you do it, 
where, and what time. And then write down what emotion you are feeling right before you start eating. And like clockwork, people will very soon identify that it's it's always an emotion that they're unconsciously uncomfortable feeling, which could be fixed by if you begin to journal or meditate, it, it might reduce the potency of the trigger at all. So the behavior doesn't even have to happen. But if the trigger is strong enough, what you can do with a bad habit is you switch out the behavior and you you try new behaviors that will give you a positive reward. So for example, kind of my favorite one to give people is like, if you're trying to quit biting your nails, you track every time you start to bite your nails and then you track the emotion you feel before you start biting your nails and you find out, oh, I tend to do it when I'm anxious. And by doing it, I feel less anxious. And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking through my problems. Okay. If you find your finger in your mouth, stop and journal for five minutes and see if that actually works at reducing the feeling in the same way. And for some people it works. And for some, like you as an individual will have to play with what the new habit will be or what the new behavior will be, but the trigger and the reward tend not to change. So for people who say me, you know, like, It's funny. There's a there's a subtle thing in habit change that's the most important. And it's what's your self-identity? Like what's the story you tell yourself about who you are? And if you are someone who is trying to quit X, you are telling yourself the story that this is hard and that you actually are a cookie eater or a smoker and that you're trying not to be. What they find in research is that people who say, I don't, instead of I can't, are like 40% more likely not to do the habit. So if someone's trying to quit smoking and they just say, I don't smoke, they're 40% more likely to not smoke again. But people who say, I can't smoke, are much more likely to go back to it. And that the words we use are insights into how we see ourselves. And so people who are saying me, what, what that means is, I have a story that I am X person and I'm trying to not be X person, but I really am X person. And then people who say friends, it's, um, I would rather be who they expect me to be when I'm around them than for me to be who I am. And then the third one is, uh, I'm my best self when I do X. I'm not my best self when I don't do X. And all those are lies. Yeah. The uh, identity thing in the stories is something that, yeah, fascinates me as well because that's at the core of almost everything is who you think your identity is. Amen. And, um, yeah. Amen, brother. Hell yeah. Preach. Hey, Hey. And, uh, um, shit. What was I going to say? Oh yeah. So I have like a real affinity for sugar. And so I used to like a few years ago, especially I was reading all these books on sugar addiction, you know, and how to get rid of it. And one of the lines was, you know, stop saying I'm a sugar addict or I'm this and I'm that. And just say like, I have a sugar addiction, same kind of thing. Like just a slight it's word subtle, play, but it's powerful, subtle, yeah. but powerful. You're not incorporating this as like a part of myself as like, yeah. I'm a sugar addict. Like I'm an alcoholic or I can't, I mean, if you read, if you think through your day of how many things you say, you think you are of like, even things that are good, you know, For like sure. that are hard then to let go of. You're like, casting spells on yourself. You cast all day. spells on yourself. Hopefully, some of them are good, 
But like, if you say like you and I would both meet people and be like, oh, I'm a podcaster, right? Which I actually usually say I have a podcast, but if you were to say like, oh, I'm a, I'm a writer, right? Like, yeah, I'm a writer, you know, that even though it's a positive thing for you, mm, it becomes part of your identity, it yeah. becomes latched on, it becomes identity. And then five years down the road, when you actually would like to go do something else, you won't, it's hard sure. because then it's you, how the fuck are you going to let yourself go? Yeah. <laughs> I find that um, when I'm uh, in a playful headspace, it's always the ego Eric is or the ego Eric feels. Or oh, the yeah. Ego Eric, blah, blah, blah. Um, That's a great way to look at it. It's kind of obnoxious, but if you do it lightheartedly, yeah, I feel yeah. like. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird, man. Um, we unconsciously most of the day identify as the ego mm-hmm. and it makes sense, but we're not just the ego. You know, we are the thing that witnesses the ego and the thing that witnesses the ego is the closest thing to a godlike thing that exists. And we unconsciously give up that perspective 99.99% of the day. You know, I know. why? And the rest, well, I think, yeah. And the rest, uh, the rest gets impeded upon by other things too. I think you're right. A lot of distractions too and stuff like that. And it, it starts to overhaul, you know, even the little, the little slivers that you could do it. Like we were talking sure. about earlier, they're going to get taken up. By sure, man. Else. Unless you, unless right. you consciously block out that time and say like, no, that's, this is my, my For ego sure. list time. <laughs> Dude, I've ate so many mushrooms, done the DMT, done the LSD. And I get maybe a moment a day, maybe a second a day where I don't identify as the ego. Yeah. Well, cause that stuff, yeah. It's work. Yeah, it is. It is. It's work. Especially, I was thinking about this as like a thought experiment that I feel like this is something that you've probably done too, where I think of, okay, we've had civilization for 10,000 years, right? At least. Yeah. Let's even, let's say it's 20, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, if you read uh what's that civilization what's um um think, help me out here. Hancock. Yeah, yeah. Graham Hancock. Yeah, what's the, the one? What's um, the book? Like Magician of the Gods. Yeah, yeah, where he talks about how there's like civilizations that, that yeah. go back way farther. But let's say it's twenty thousand years and Homo sapiens have been around for two hundred thousand. So you're looking mm-hmm. at ten percent of our history mm-hmm. that is within civilization. And not even within civilization, but every single time that we read a history book or anything you see on a show where it's like, oh, and this type of thought has been around for 3,000 years, ancient history. And I think, yeah, but that's 1% of Homo sapiens history, you know, as a whole. So then it's like, okay, like you said, if we're identifying as our ego for 99.9% of the day now, would that look like 150,000 years ago? Yeah when we didn't have advertising, when we didn't have literally no part of our life. Now, if you took someone from a hundred thousand years ago, to homo sapien in a hunter gatherer society and you plopped him into my life, he wouldn't, there's not one part of my life that he or she would understand. So I would disagree there. I think that like, um, the moment you see your child being birthed through your wife, I think that that is a thing that, well, that's true. I I guess I mean like every day, I agree. Like yeah. if you woke up on the couch right, tomorrow, right, right. they wouldn't know what yeah. the TV is. They wouldn't know what the couch is. They wouldn't For know sure. what the house is. 
they wouldn't know how to get food. But they would, and I and I just think that this is uh, a good insight into like how we're all the same at the deepest level. Is they wouldn't know what fear was. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. They would be able to read your emotions on your face. They would be able to discern within a moment: Are you an enemy or an ally? Like the things that happen between humans and between human and nature are so old and so ancient, and we all share the programs to intuit that type of reality. But I do agree to your point that our environment is so massively different than the environment that our ancestors grew up in 150,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible for us to identify with what their life would have been like. But So here's the really interesting thing. Nature and animals would have been the things that... So there's this idea that um, as our consciousness became more complex, we became aware of the ego as an entity in the psyche and like the judge as an entity in the conscious mind. A hundred thousand years ago, they may have experienced the ego and the desires of the ego as the gods and that the judge was the ultimate God, you know? So like the judge in the Old Testament, the God is, is judge. And then if you look at the gods in Greek mythology, they were basically the manifestation of the instincts, you know? And so ancient man would have used the, the land or would anthropomorphize weather and the land and the trees and would also anthropomorphize animals and uh, then would project their ego and their judge and their instincts onto these animals and onto nature. And then they were just in this weird, always tripping on mushroom type of vibe where it's like, there's a constant projecting their nature onto the environment, the environment giving them back their nature to themselves. And they're being like a constant feedback thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, Yeah, it gets, yeah, it's a very strange, um, very strange when you think about like the differences and like how much more I just think about like, what if they were at 90% of the time that they're in the ego, as opposed to now we're 99. Mm. What does that mean in terms of your consciousness and your experience with reality? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if we weren't all calcified on our pineal gland, (laughs) I don't think about that. Yeah. I don't really know either. I just know that I see YouTube videos about it. For sure. That's the right sentence to say to be woke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, Cool. I have a couple questions here. Cool. I'll I'll try not to spend 20 minutes talking about them this time. No, fuck it, man. That's what we're going to do podcast. I can always break them up into like each question is a smaller podcast or whatever. Yeah. Um, This one is from Anastasia and we've kind of touched on this one. Uh, The easiest way to move from a negative past and live present without the weight of the ego? This is a great question. And this is kind of, um, I wrote an ebook over this. Uh, I have to find it because when I moved websites, it was hosted on my old website. I don't know where it's at, but basically. You content marketer. Yeah. A, uh, no, it's, it's, it's truly because the, uh, the amount of information I'm about to give you uh, might be overwhelming and that it would be more digestible in the ebook. Yeah, I don't for know sure. Where it's at. Um, and it's that. We'll put it up. We'll all put of it up. Alex slash. I'll find it. Slash I'll find it? No. No, let's do that. Okay, cool. AlexR.com slash I'll find it. Yeah. I-L-L find it. Done. We're going to have the ebook on there. Done. I'll write that down so I don't forget Cool, man. Yeah. Go on. 
Um, okay. So all of us experience trauma period. And, uh, if you're going to bed at night and something from your past pops up in your head and you didn't want to think about it, that is your conscious mind showing you that your unconscious mind is telling you that a thing happened to us. We don't understand exactly why it happened. We didn't like the outcome and we don't know how to behave in a more adaptive way if it were to happen again. That's essentially what your mind is telling you. And the way that you quote unquote fix this is you write about the past trauma in such a way that it becomes a cohesive story that makes sense to you because humans think in stories. And that once you do that, um, the research on this, again, this is the expressive writing research. Um, you might be more sad a day or two after you complete it, but it won't impinge on your consciousness without you asking for it anymore. Because essentially the animal part of you was hurt and it doesn't want to be hurt again. And it's telling your conscious mind, help us. And the way the conscious mind helps it is to turn it into a story. And there's a specific structure for expressive writing that the researchers have found is the most conducive to this. But essentially you write for 20 minutes every day for four days with the intent on slowly articulating the entire story and then turning it or the entire experience and then turning it into a story. And that heals you. And um, all of us have multiple traumas from our past. And the way to be truly present, one of the ways to be truly present is to take all of these energetic knots in your past and wrap them inside of a story. And then as you do that, um, you have, there are, there's less demand from your consciousness to think about the past. God, you start to close the tabs. Exactly. And the, the really old tabs, Windows 95 tabs. No, for sure. Like yeah. if you had trauma when you were five, you have an old tab that's trying to run like a HD video that's three hours long. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's eating up a lot of your resources. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, beautiful, man. I love that. Um, this one is from Max and this one is uh, advice to yourself five years ago. Assuming you changed nothing about where you are. Assuming I changed nothing about where I'm at. Like if I was still where I was at five years ago. I think like assuming that where you're at now is, is the place you want to be. Okay. Yeah. All right. 28. He'd be 23. Um, my advice would be, uh, Rationality is not king. Have the courage to listen to your heart more. And you're worthy of having amazing relationships and orgasms. Beautiful. Let's end it there. Yeah. <laughs> Where can uh, people find you, man, to keep up with everything you're doing besides alexstar.com slash I'll find it. Hey, um, <laughs> I'm most active on Instagram. It's my name, E-R-I-C-K-G-O-D-S-E-Y. And then uh, my website, E-R-I-C-K-G-O-D-S-E-Y. Cool. cool. And you have a, a course on there to get started on journaling and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, it's not my course. It's my friend's course, but I help write it. Okay. And yeah, it's basically an introduction. If you're interested in learning how I journal, is a step-by-step -step 
month long program. That's awesome, man. Um, I have no idea what that actually includes, but if there's anything of how much expertise you have in the subject and it involves journaling, which I personally know is uh, massively beneficial, then I can't, you know, it's definitely worth 49 bucks to check it out. For sure. It's that's cool, man. We've got three podcasts in there that are just over the content in the course. There's uh, three basically like essays over the three main ways that I use to journal and then 25 prompts. Like nice. they get each day. Nice. Beautiful, dude. Cool, man. Well, it's been fucking privilege, man. Super Likewise, fun having brother. you on. We've been going for like an hour and a half, too. Yeah. So this was a great first, like, pop in the chair. Yeah, setting the bar high. So cool, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me on, man. If you are still listening to this outro, then um, I want to give you a hug. Next time I see you, I would like to give you a hug. Thanks for listening, guys. I am, uh, yeah, Instagram, Alex H. Star. Um, I got a book coming out in October, all that good stuff. So I'll be, I got to revamp everything. I got to revamp the brand and the website and SEO and all that stuff. It's, there's so many different things to do um, that a lot of times I end up just getting overwhelmed and doing nothing. <laughs> there's so many things to do. It's a big project like that, you know, break it up into pieces and all those things. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, yeah, you can find Eric at Eric Godsey on Instagram. You can find me, Alex H. Star. Um, I'll put everything on the website at alexstar.com so you can find that. And I will be posting a lot of good, fresh podcasts coming up over the spring and summer. And uh, love you guys. And um, enjoy where you're at right now in the world. <laughs>